0: Good evening, everyone. Great to see you this evening. Uh, if you're new or visiting, a special warm welcome to you. My name's David, one of the pastors here at the church, and we hope that your time with us is a blessed one, uh, and we hope that you could consider making Subie Church your spiritual home. Last week, I told a, a brief story about the time when I drove into a public car park and hit the car next to me. I got out, I assessed it, and I, I, I thought it might cost me about $1,000 dollars to fix this car that I'd hit, broken panel, broken tail light. I knew the deal. I did not want to fork out. Uh, and so I had this dilemma, this conflict going on inside of me. Do I leave a note, or do I just leave? During the week, I came across a couple of notes online that people had posted of times where they had found a note under their car uh, wipers that someone had left after their car had been hit. I wanted to share it with you. I hit a little scrape, the back of your car, because it was so badly parked. I'm only leaving this note because people are watching and they think I'm leaving my name and address. (laughs) Here's another one. Please call me to give you my insurance info. It was hard to see in the rain. I'm sorry. Please call me, but I'm not going to leave my number, right? <laughs> now, I did uh, Last week, I didn't tell you whether I actually left or whether I left a note. Uh, I'm not going to tell you today either, but I'm sure I'll fess up at some point. But this, more, uh, this evening, what I want to do is I want to show you a brief video of uh, a woman who runs out of power on her phone. Now, does anyone freak out like that when they lose power on their phone? This is a safe space. You can, you, can, you can confess it. Does anyone freak out like that? Some of you. My daughter's friend, she has to be on 100% power all the time on her phone, or she freaks out. She said to me, she said, I can't run out of power. If, I run out of, if, I, if my phone is dead, it's like I'm dead. Cut off. Right? Have you ever had your phone run out of power at a really inconvenient time? Right? At a really bad time and you don't have access to a charger. Has that ever happened to you? Don't you hate that? Yeah, don't you hate it when you're on like Google Maps and you're trying to get to uh, a rough part of town, and just before you get there, your phone runs out of power, and you're like, I don't know where I am, and I'm too scared to ask a local for directions, right? Don't you hate it when you, you need a charger, and the only charger someone's got is the one that doesn't hit your phone, doesn't fit your phone? It's like, yeah, I've got a charger hands you an Android charger. Dude, you know, I've got an, you, know, you know I've got an iPhone. Someone says, I've got an iPhone charger. Dude, that's an iPhone 4 charger. Who even uses those anymore? There was a guy who was on 1% power on his phone and this girl that he'd been wanting to date for ages finally rings him back and she says, I'm free tonight. Before he has a chance to answer, his phone just dies, and he's like, "No, come back, come back!" Now, there's actually a, a new a new uh, illness that is called nomophobia, no mobile phobia. It's a it's a true it's a new illness, and sufferers experience symptoms of panic when their phone drops below twenty percent power statistically that will be some of you here is that you so your phone drops below 20% power and you panic now when your phone drops below 5% power there is an app called die with me <laughs> do you know it so the app you can only use when you have less than 5% battery and you join a chat room So you can have someone to talk to while your phone dies, right? Die together in a chat room on your way to offline peace. I'm so stressed. I need a charger now. I need a hug. Sam died. Now, I get it. I get it. Having no power on your phone can be super stressful. I get it. But it's not the end of the world. No, really, it's not the end of the world, right? But having no power in your Christian life, now that is a disaster. That is a disaster. You can't live the Christian life without God's power. You just can't do it. So what happens when we don't have God's power in our lives? Well, God tells us in Romans chapter 7, and that's what we're looking at this evening. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, that would be fantastic. We're going to follow through the passage together. And this evening, there are three points, three points in the message. And the first one is this. God's law makes us aware of sin's power. Have a look with me in verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. We've seen in in Romans in the last few weeks that there are two spiritual realms. There's the realm of Adam, which is ruled by law and death and sin, and everyone is born into that realm, and there you remain Unless you are born again. You put your faith in Christ when you are transferred into Christ's kingdom. Now the question is, why do we need to be rescued from the law? Isn't God's law good? Why do we need to be rescued from the law? Well, have a look with me in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Do not covet is what number of the Ten Commandments? Number 10. Well done. To covet means to be greedy. It means to be materialistic, to desire to possess things, uh, to desire to own things to be an Australian. The gambling industry is covetousness incarnate. If it wasn't for covetousness, the casino, the lottery commission, online gambling would be out of business tomorrow. The stock market would slow down if it wasn't for coveting. People might invest in order to actually help companies make business rather than invest for the sake of speculation. It would change the nature of our society if you could get rid of coveting. Now, we would all say that greed is not good, right? But it's not until you're told, stop being greedy, that you discover how greedy you really are. It's not until I try and stop doing something that I notice how often I do it. See, if I put myself to the test and I say, right, I am not going to lie for a week, then I realise what a liar I am. How many little white lies, just fudges of the truth, are happening all the time, but I don't realise it because I'm not trying to stop. What the law does is that it makes us aware of our sinfulness. Have a look there in verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. See, God gave us the law so we would know how to obey him. But paradoxically, the law provokes us to disobey him. Because when you're told not to do something, what do you want to do? What happens? You want to do it. Why? It's not because there's anything wrong with the law. It's because the law is hijacked by sin, that power within us that wants to rebel against God. God's commands are like a line that you're told not to cross and the sin in you springs to life and you just want to cross that line. You've experienced that? Have you ever done something just because you were told not to? Uh, It's the forbidden fruit syndrome. Uh, When I was growing up, my parents were incredibly strict with uh, what my brother and sister and I watched on TV. Uh, To give you an idea, we weren't even allowed to watch Neighbours because they said it was too crude. This came back to bite them because my sister actually became an actress on Neighbours later in life. But instead of buying a TV, my dad just rented one from the shop. And whenever he thought we were watching too much or we were watching inappropriate stuff, he would send the TV back to the shop for months or until he missed the sport too much and we got it back. Mum and Dad said M-rated movies are off-limits and don't even go near an R-rated movie. I remember being the only guy in in my group that wasn't allowed to watch Terminator with Arnie Schwarzenegger because it was rated M. I mean, how do you learn important life stuff without Arnie movies, you know? So I'm 13, I'm over at my friend's house, and he says, do you want to watch a movie? And I said, yeah, I'd love to watch a movie. And so I looked through his collection. We actually had physical collections back then, right? VHS, tapes. Uh, And where do I look first? The R-rated horror movies. I think it must be fun to watch an R-rated horror movie because mum and dad said, don't do it. I see a movie called A Nightmare on Elm Street. You've seen it, right? Now, I'm not a big horror movie fan (laughs) still to this day, but it was rated R. I wasn't allowed to watch it, and so I wanted to watch it. That movie was one of the worst 90 minutes of my life. I saw more grisly murders in 90 minutes than a homicide detective sees in a whole lifetime. I'm shaking. I'm got my hands in front of my face I'm closing my eyes I look over at my mate he's just like (laughs) it's like a Disney movie for him I had nightmares for months every time I went to the bathroom I had to look behind the door to look for Freddy Krueger there's a reason that it's rated rated 18 plus but I watched it because I was told not to so when you're told not to do something we are provoked to do it But the villain is not the law, the villain is sin, which hijacks the law. Have a look with me at our second point. The law is powerless to deal with sin's power. Have a look with me in verse 12. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. The law is holy, but it can't make anyone holy. The law is good, but it can't make anyone good. The law tells us what the right thing to do is, but it can't actually help us do the right thing. Uh, the law is like a dentist's mirror. Sorry. The law is like a dentist mirror. It can tell you what the problem is, but it can't actually fix the problem. So the mirror says, oh, there's a cavity there. But the mirror can't actually do anything. It needs help from something else. See, God gave the law to us like a, uh, as a guide, like, like a train track to follow. But what Israel did is, it was it turned the train track into a ladder and it tried to climb the law to get into heaven. See, Israel thought they could obey the law perfectly and get into heaven by their own merit. However, what they weren't counting on was... The power of sin. Because of sin, no one can climb to the top of the ladder. No one can obey God perfectly. Have a look with me in verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. 21st century translation, shut up. Right? No way. It was sin that brought death to us, but the law was powerless to stop it have a look with me in verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but I am fleshly sold under sin I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate I do and if I do what I do not want to do I agree that the law is good as it is it is no longer I myself who do it but it is sin living in me for I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not the the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Can you feel Paul's struggle? It's palpable, isn't it? Paul is not in complete control of himself, and it is exasperating for him. Now uh, Now, is this normal Christian experience? Is that what he's describing? Some say that Paul is looking back at his pre-Christian life when he was a devout Pharisee, struggling with the law. Others say that he is describing here what an immature Christian experiences. Romans 6 and 7 kind of follow the life path of someone who is not a Christian and then becomes a baby Christian, What's what he's experiencing describing here but then get to chapter 8 he has the spirit and then he's a strong Christian others say and this is this is my view that Paul is describing here the normal Christian experience see we are no longer slaves to sin we saw that last week very clearly we've been rescued out of the realm of sin but we've just read We are still sold under sin, which has a different meaning to slave in the original language. So it means our bodies are still cursed by the presence of sin, even though we're no longer slaves to sin. Right? So we're no longer slaves, but we're still cursed by sin. It's that overlap of the ages, which we saw last week. So when you become a Christian, your body doesn't suddenly become uncorrupted. My body won't catch up with my new spiritual identity until when? Until I get to heaven. So we have new identities, but we don't yet have new intrinsic capacities. We're in the new realm. We're dead to sin, but we still have the presence of sin in us. And that's why we have this conflict. So Paul, even as a mature Christian, he is not in complete control of himself. And it exasperates him. See, if you were in control of yourself, the good that you wanted to do, you would always do. And the bad that you would never want to do, you would never do. Right? Do you believe in telling the truth? Yes. Uh, Do you want to tell lies? No. you always tell the truth no so are you in complete control of yourself it doesn't sound like it does it the Christian has spiritual conflict because the Holy Spirit's work of growing us in holiness actually leads to a greater and greater awareness of our sinfulness the more mature you become as a Christian The more aware you are of your sinfulness, not less aware, right? As you deal with the sin in your life, you become more aware of other sins in your life. So putting to death sin doesn't decrease your sense of sin. It actually heightens your sense of sin. And that's why Paul still has his struggle as a mature Christian. Because before... There were things that you were doing that you were totally unaware of that were sinful. But once you got rid of some of the big ticket sins in your life, you're like, oh, there are other things, and there are other things, and there are other things. The classic novel, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, has anyone read that book? It was written as an an allegory to describe this inner conflict that Christians experience. Uh, The very phrase Jekyll and Hyde has entered into our vernacular to mean someone that has a dual nature. Someone is usually very good, but sometimes the very opposite. Have a look with me in verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, But it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. See how Paul uh, describes sin here. He pictures sin as almost an an alien power which acts almost independently from what he desires in his inner parts. Causing him to do the wrong that he doesn't want to do and preventing him from doing the right that he wants to do. He's articulating the reality that sin is foreign to us, right? We've died to sin, we've turned our back on sin, so in one sense it's not me who sins, it's the sin that still exists within me. But I can't opt out of my personal responsibility. I can't say, hey, the devil made me do it. Because the devil only makes me do what I want to do. Verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Because I can't do it. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus rescued us. He took us out of the old realm into the new realm. But complete rescue can only come when he comes again and he transforms our mortal bodies into new resurrection bodies. Until then, Paul acknowledges, until then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my flesh I'm a slave to the law of sin. We experience the power of the new age in the midst of the weakness of the old. That is our present reality. We've died to the powers of the old age and we should not minimize that death, but we also shouldn't minimize the very real danger posed by the ongoing presence of sin and so romans 7 gives us grounds for both a sober realism okay i remain weak i'm corrupt in myself but also a joyful hope because god has accomplished through christ that which is completely beyond my reach So what you and I are unable to do ourselves, God accomplishes for us through Christ and in us by His Spirit. We need God's Son and we need God's Spirit. And so we come to our final point. Live by the power of the Spirit. This is the final point. Live by the power of the Spirit. Have a look with me in chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. to the Spirit. In the Old Testament uh, at the festival of Pentecost which is 50 days after Passover, pente means 50, God gave His people at Mount Sinai what? The law. In the New Testament at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus death, God gave His people the Spirit The holy spirit comes down in place of the law it was like a business hanging a new sign a sign out the front of their business under new management we're no longer under the law we are now controlled by the spirit we are under new management that was 50 days after christ's death at pentecost the spirit was given, and today is Pentecost Sunday. We are 50 days today after Christ's death. Well, tomorrow will be Pentecost Sunday. Today is actually 50 days after Christ's death. We have died to the law. Its hold. Its control. Its its accusation its condemnation we are no longer under that we are out of that realm and now we are in the realm of the spirit right we are in the realm of the spirit things have completely changed we are under new management and we have been filled with god's spirit and what does the spirit do he writes god's laws on our hearts And he gives us the desire to do what he wants us to do, a supernatural desire to do what he wants us to do. And he gives us the power to be able to do what he wants us to do. Which means that even though you and I are in a spiritual tug of war, we know our condition, we're in this spiritual tug of war, we're in the new realm of the spirit, we're still in the old realm, we have this spiritual tug of war, even though we're in that tug of war, Because we have God's Spirit, we can win the tug-of-war. Because God's Spirit is more powerful than those powers that oppose us. The good news is that the Spirit creates within us desires and power that are stronger than our fleshly desires. So as you start to think think about something that you shouldn't think about, or you're about to do something that you shouldn't do, the Holy Spirit's right there with you. Uh uh-uh. uh, you don't want to do that. Uh uh-uh. uh, you don't have to do that. God cares that much about you that He takes time from running the world to impress on you before you get yourself in trouble. You're going to regret doing that. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. You've heard that phrase, be led by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. When we follow His direction, when we act on His desires, when we obey God, we are walking by the Spirit. We can now do what was impossible before we were Christian. We can now obey God and fulfill His law. We can now do that. When you live according to the Spirit intentionally, you fulfill the law incidentally. want to finish with a story Uh, there was a guy called clay and clay had been a christian just a few months and he gets invited by some of the other he and his wife get invited by some of the other uh, young adults he's about 20 young adults in uh, a church to an outdoor concert and uh, the pastor jeff and his wife go along as well when they get to the concert clay puts his hat on he says this is concert clay this is clay concert clay, clay. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, they soon find out Clay skulls a whole lot of beer in a very short amount of time. He takes a joint out of his pocket, he smokes it, and then he just runs around like a crazy man for the rest of the night. Uh, The pastor, Jeff, uh, has to chase him all night from the back rows to the front rows, getting rid of women who are hanging off him. Clay's wife is, is is as white as a sheet, so embarrassed by his behaviour. One of the guys uh, called Randy, guess where he's from? America. And he says he comes up to Clay and he says, "This is horrible." And uh, Jeff's like, "What? What do you mean the concert? I haven't heard any of it. I'm chasing Clay." No, I mean Clay. This is horrible. We, we got to get in his face. We we got to confront him. What he's doing is terrible. Jeff says, look, he's a baby Christian. Um, I've got a baby at home when my, when my baby messes. I don't get in her face and confront her. No, we he's a baby Christian. We've we got to clean it up. We'll pray that the Holy Spirit will convict him, that it will change his desires. And we just wait and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Randy says, I don't think that's going to work. Jeff says, yeah, it'll work. Anyway, they start praying that night. and a few months later, Jeff has Randy and Clay and their wives over for dinner, and that night, Clay declines the offer of wine. He says, "No, thanks." Uh, last time I did that, I, I embarrassed my wife. I, I dishonored God. And I, I don't want to do it uh, anyth- I want anything to do with that anymore. until I can drink in a way that honors God. I'm not going to touch it. Randy, a bit later on, Randy's like, no way, I I didn't think the Holy Spirit could do that. Jeff says, that's his job description, man. Don't you think he's any good at his job? What's God trying to do in you right now? What's he trying to work on in you right now? What's he trying to change in you right now? Will you let him? Or will you resist him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who has rescued us out of the realm of law and sin and death and transferred us into the realm of life and righteousness and grace. And we thank you for that rescue, Lord. But we do know, Lord, we're in a struggle right now. Until you come again, we're going to struggle. And it is hard, Lord. It is frustrating. It is painful. And I want to pray for each person here tonight who is feeling that struggle right now. I just want to pray, Lord, that your spirit would work powerfully in their lives. That you would change their desires so that they want to follow you more than anything else. That you would give them the power to be able to follow you and to obey you. And I pray, Lord, that they would see victory in their lives. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people that rely on the Holy Spirit. That we would follow his direction that we would act on his desires that we would be led by the holy spirit and for those who are really struggling and feel like they just cannot overcome one of those besetting sins that they might be experiencing i just pray lord god that you would give them hope that you would fill them with your strength and they would overcome it. Fill us with your Pentecost power as we walk out of here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.